and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. This week we'll be talking about the value of a game. You know, is it worth your money? From one-and-done games to all-in Kickstarter pledges with 300 pieces of plastic, how do we tell if a game is a good value or not? But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison and the Gift of Games in Grace Lake, Illinois. And a huge thank you to all of our other patrons as well. And a reminder, you can join us on Zoom, tabletopgametalk.com slash live, and click on the Zoom link. Um, Ignore, well, I'm going to get better at this, but I've been leaving the old date up for too long, and then I change it at 8 o'clock the night we record, and that might not be enough notice. So, it will be updated, but just always assume we record on a Monday night. Um, How's life, guys? And gal? Guy and gal? Good. I went apple (laughs) picking. I have not been apple picking in a long time, but I really miss it. It's the like last time I went apple picking, I was pregnant and not with my current baby. <laughs> <laughs> go apple picking. Where'd you go? Nearby? Uh, it was, I think it's like Cooper's Family Farm. K-U-I-P-E-R. It's uh, west of Chicago. Mm. About an hour west. That's not too bad. Yeah. My apple picking experience is in Michigan. It was several years ago. Many years ago. Five years ago? But... um. My favorite part is just being able to try the apples before you like it. And then you're, yeah, I don't like this one. Throw it on the ground. Try a different tree. You're not supposed to do that. That's basically what they said to do. They're like, (laughs) like right now we have two apples that are in season and, you know, try them both before you, you know, fill up your bag. Yeah. This orchard I went to had like a dozen at least different types. There were so many kinds of apples. Yeah. Yeah, We had a bunch. One that had a ton. They had a bunch, but they were, they only had open for like two different varieties i don't know i guess they like rotate them yeah. this year makes me sad though because halloween is around the corner or what a month away and i'm like what's halloween gonna be like in covid where people are afraid to go out but at the same time everyone's wearing masks so it should sort of count right <laughs> <laughs> um i think we're going to be going to a trunk or treat hosted by my niece's school that's open only to students and families so it's you know, a spread out parking lot with not very many people <laughs> in it. Yeah. But I'm Taren making says, the kids costumes and they're super cute. Terrence says we should have PVC candy shoots. I might do that. I was thinking I could like put a bowl of candy on the front porch, but I don't know how that's any safer. Maybe it I've is. I've heard about people who are like sitting on their front porch and leaving candy like at the end of the sidewalk to their house. But you guys are pretty close to the street. So I don't know. Yeah. How that would work. Um, I saw somebody online had a like fishing pole rigged up to <laughs> deliver <laughs> snacks and treats. I think they also I mean, had adult beverages in their setup. <laughs> the costume that you should just wear is like, you know, like the Dr. Horrible costume with a face mask. So you have like giant <laughs> gloves, a lab coat, and then a face mask. That's all you need. I want to see a bunch of Marty McFly's in the radioactive suit. I may have just binge-watched Back to the Future, but... Marty! (laughs) Bring it back. Bring it back. Yeah, I've been doing... I've been playing a lot of Too Many Bones because I got the Trove chest. Um, This... I don't think you guys have heard about this, but there's a lot of games that have, like, a deluxe storage solution, and really it's just a big box to hold all the expansions. This is more of a piece of furniture, 
specifically designed to fit inside of a calyx square. So it's like 11 and a half by 11 and a half by, I don't know, maybe 13 inches deep. You put it in there and it's never really meant to come out, but I'm not going to do that um, because it looks really cool on the table. So now it's like a centerpiece on my table. And now that it's there, that's there's this, oh, it's kind of like a guillotine type of door. So this, like the whole front slides up. And then it's like this wooden piece that you put on top. And then there's drawers, but the drawers don't have handles. There's a magnet that you attach to whatever drawer you want to get out. You pull out the drawer, you pick your characters, you pick your your boss, your, all the cars, all the setup, all the dice, all the chip poker chips. It's all right there. So I've since I've gotten this thing and reorganized my Too Many Bones, I've played, I think, four games of it. And it's not a short game. And I, I almost want to do a topic on these kinds of games because the first time I played it, I did not like this game. I felt it was super (laughs) swingy, all random, all just, uh, and the more you play it, A, the better you get at it, because when you first start playing, you just lose all the time, and then you start getting better, and then, like, the swinginess becomes a feature, not a bug, and it's just getting, every time I play, it's it's more and more fun, and I can't wait to play again, so... um, yeah, and Sydney's actually liked it too. So we're setting it up, and it's our game that we play pretty much over a couple of days because you can play a scenario at a time. So it's like a scenario takes maybe 20 minutes, maybe 30, 45 minutes at tops. And then we set up for the next one. It's like, oh, but the baby needs to be fed or something. So we'll just take a break. And it's indestructible. So <laughs> that I was literally using my game components as coasters because I wanted to protect the neoprene mat on the game table. Like, that's <laughs> that's the crissest thing you've ever said. I'm just saying. I'm like, oh yeah, there are videos of this where like people are playing it underwater. Like that's how like all the cards are made of plastic. All the rule sheets are made of plastic. The neoprene mats that can easily be dried and dice, obviously. So yeah, that's been my my week it's for the log. most part. It's big. It's heavy. It's wood. Uh, it's so good. It's just so good. But anyway. We will actually talk a little bit more about Too Many Bones for today's topic, which is, I don't even know what to, how to call it. I think it's like gaming value or value of games or how do you value a game? Maybe that's what this is. And I gave you guys homework um, because this game, this game, this episode was inspired by a YouTube video that I saw that was recommended to me by the YouTube algorithm that makes you keep watching forever and it was clickbaity but i I clicked it anyway and it was the top worst value games um are we not gonna are we not gonna mention the the oh we'll mention it yeah we'll mention the channel which is um board game co and i will put the links to both of the videos that we'll be referring to in the show notes if you guys want to watch it um the first one that i watched i watched them in reverse order was top 10 worst value games and the one before that was top 10 best value games um this I want to talk about. It. I want to get you guys' opinion before I share too much of mine. So um, Fletcher, just well, you I'm already jump- ruined that for us. We know how <laughs> you feel. <laughs> yes, but I want to know how you guys feel. So Fletcher, what did you think about these videos and the way he valued so, them? So I have a lot less. So okay, so. I have a problem with his top 10 worst value games, just right off the bat. Um, when I watched the top 10 best value games, I had like a lot less of a problem with his list um, because uh, he owns all these games and he's giving his like subjective like experience 
playing them and he's like bringing in the cost factors to them so it's like okay fine like he thinks these games are really good value fine um with the worst value games i want to say like half of them he hasn't played yeah and his metric and we, we'll get into it but his his at the end of the video he's like oh i i came up with this metric or of like how many copies are sold versus how many times people have played it or said that they have played it on like board game geek yep mm-hmm and he, and he kind of hints that, like, okay, yeah, like, I mean, this is, a, like, a little bit un- underrepresented. But I'm like, okay, I would I would throw that metric away completely. Because what you're saying here is that, like, this metric is completely underrepresented. Like, totally. So I wouldn't do anything with that. Also, if you flip it and reverse it, like that song. Um, <laughs> uh like what he's hinting at is like the games that have like the best value are games that are played a lot. So it's like, I, I didn't actually check to see like which games are played the most, but it's like what, what like monopoly probably has like a super high ratio. So this is like a really good value game. Um, or, you know, like maybe Stratego or, or risk probably have like m- literally millions of plays. So like you could say like, this is a very good value game while using that metric and i'm like and eh, i'm not sure that this is really what you want to say yeah. like you know well, plays per copy yeah well the metrics even worse because it was the number of people who say they own the game versus the number of people who played it in a given month like the most recent yeah. month which is a problem because most games get their most their biggest plays when you first get them so if you really want to do that comparison you look at the number of people who own the game and the number of plays over the entire duration that the game has existed. And then you yeah. have to factor in, take a time, you know, basically divide by the number of days exist. It's, and, and it's, also it's know across, that it, you're, it, you're, the, the count is underrepresented probably by a lot. Yeah. And he, so he, he talks about kingdom death monster in particular as like the worst value game. And yeah. He was like, and he, and he says like, I've never played this game, but like probably the type of player who plays this game would report that they played it on board geek and i'm like i've never done that <laughs> yeah well and that's the thing his that list to me really well again sparked this but all right kitty um your impressions <laughs> overall and then we're gonna break down what i think and you guys can help tell me if i'm wrong or not um is a better way to evaluate games but yeah go kitty what do you think um, my opinion was that this list seemed very personal. It seemed mostly like what he liked and did not like, what he felt was valuable for his collection and what he would be keeping. And it seemed like he used very inconsistent ways of measuring how a game was valuable or not. That yeah. it, it wasn't this is how I prepared this list for all of these games. It was, well, in the number eight spot, I felt like it for this reason. In the number six spot, there's a completely different reason. This one's a bad value. And it just didn't seem very scientific. But then he started throwing around all these numbers towards the end of the video that made it seem like, well, it is totally scientific, but not. So yeah, so that's my opinion. <laughs> one of the other things that I found very strange was like half the time he'd never played a game. Yeah. The other half of the time, he owned the game and said it was really good. <laughs> right. But it, was, but it was a terrible value. Yeah. I think that my biggest problem with it, in a nutshell, was he's conflating the idea of value with cheap. 
And I do not think those those two things are the same. And when if he wanted to say cheapest games or most expensive <coughs> games or something like that, I think his list would have been a little bit... Um, I would have said, okay, fine. Yeah, you're talking about super cheap games that you play a lot and calling that high value. But value's more than just the money it takes to spend. And especially when he's talking about, well, you, if this is a good value because you can buy it used for this much or something along those lines. So I think his first video was very well thought out. And I think we all kind of thought that it was better. And that's the um, best valued games. And I think his metric for measuring that was much better. He was basically saying, what games get you really good bang for your buck? Like, And that's not a bad way to think about things, especially if you're just starting a collection. You want to be able to play a lot, but you're not able to spend a lot of money. You want to know where you're going to get the bang for your buck. And that's a good way to look at games. And I think he had a kind of better idea what he was doing with that first video. And then he got a lot of requests to do this second video. And I think it's a much harder question to answer. And it did sort of like veer into expensive equals bad yeah yep all right so we're gonna do we're gonna break this down um that's again board game co is the channel uh we're not trying to diss the channel in any way (laughs) it's actually i've watched a few more of his videos since then he's kind of addicting to listen to um but check it out like i said we'll put the links in the show notes but we're gonna take a look at this and i'm going to approach value from a multiple perspectives I split this up into three main categories with three subcategories. Now, like most of our episodes, I usually come up with the show notes and the ideas and the thoughts, and then I just spring them on Kitty and Fletcher, and we see where (laughs) things go. In this way, I'm actually putting Kitty and Fletcher in charge of one of these aspects that I'm talking about. So I'm splitting splitting this into three categories. I'm going to cover the first one, and I consider this one moderately subjective. And that's really what I I kind of want to get to is, is there a formula for valuing games that is like an absolute, like, again, cheap versus expensive is one way to do it. But I think there's more. But this first one here, I'm calling the components. This is a moderately subjective thing. But really, if I spend $70 on a board game, and I open up the box, and I'm looking through the components, looking at the art, looking at the number of things I get... And I never, ever play the game. Do I feel like I've got my money's worth? It, this is kind of like the shelf candy evaluation, <laughs> right? Um, the quintessential example of this is Mechs versus Minions. This is a large box game with a ton of miniatures, super overproduced for $75. Nobody can say that this is a bad value when you look at the components of it. You can also take a look at something like Gloomhaven, where for $100 on Kickstarter, or maybe 120 to 140 after, you know, on retail, you're getting a game that weighs 23 pounds, that has hundreds of hours, if not a thousand hours of content in it. Um, Terraforming Mars, on the other side, that game is crap. You open up that game and you're like, <laughs> what did I pay for? Like, it's the box is flimsy, the cards are flimsy, everything about the components is flimsy, and it feels... Bad. I sneezed and the game is ruined. <laughs> exactly. So those, I, I call this moderately subjective because there are some, you know, there's some wiggle room for how you value plastic and art and those types of things. But in this particular case, you can basically say, yeah, I, I spent money on this. Even if I didn't play it, I feel like I got something for my money. Kitty, your turn. 
<laughs> All right. So um, this is my punishment for not reading the show notes ahead of time. <laughs> um, apparently, I'm covering the experience, which is completely subjective, person to person. Um, is playing the game memorable? Do you talk about it when you are not playing the game? Does it feel like a shared experience instead of just a game? Do you tell your friends you've got to play this game? So these are things like when we played Pandemic Legacy Season 1. I will also throw in Betrayal Legacy, even though Chris didn't put it in the notes. <laughs> um, these are games that we loved, 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 and we still talk about. Gosh, how long ago did we play Pandemic Legacy Season 1? Years and years ago. And we still talk about it all the time. Very fun. But somebody else might not like that game. Um, and it's funny even because in this video, uh, he talks about he really enjoyed Pandemic Legacy Season 2, which I feel like we didn't enjoy as much as Season 1. And totally subjective. Uh, RPGs can really fall into this kind of way where, you know, tons of people have completely different experiences playing different role-playing games. Um, and escape room games are another one where you're building an experience and these are completely up to the person who is, I, I don't know. Having the experience. <laughs> having the experience. Yeah. It, it's completely up to, well, I was thinking more like the person who's owning the game. It's like up to you. Is this game worth it based on the experience you have playing it is totally a calculus you have to do for yourself. Well, and this depends a lot on your play group as well. Um, I mean, I know games that I would normally not like, but because of who I played them with, I enjoyed this game a lot more than I would have otherwise. And to me, that is a very valuable experience. Now, some games, like, you know, if I said, hey, look at, we have Werewolf Legacy, want to play it, you would not find that experience fun. You would not find any value in that game. Yes. All really right. any so, of the purely social of the social deduction games is in my list. But I think <laughs> tons and tons of people would say they're in their favorites. And like, I am never going to buy something that says werewolf on it. And, <laughs> but you know, it made it on the great value list, but it would be a huge waste of my money. Yep. One night ultimate lycanthropy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Fletcher, I gave you this before I heard your opinion on on this. So, but I think that this this take is a little bit more subjective than what he did, and I think this is the least well m more objective. This is the yeah. least subjective way of measuring value. Yeah. So uh, this is like the cost per hour or like cost per play. So if you take the game and then you divide it by you know you have the price that you paid for it divided by the, the amount of hours that you've played it or the amount of times that you played it, you can decide like what kind of metric you want to go by. Like what is the cost per play or cost per hour? Um, you can break down games in that way. And obviously like if you buy a $75 game and you play it once, like was that, was that worth it? That gets back more into like the experience. Like it, maybe it is worth it. If you had a great experience with the game, maybe it's not worth it. And you know, it, the game was just okay, but you'd play it again. Yep. But in that case, what you're doing is saying, say say it's a $75 game, and we play it three players, and it took us an hour to play. So that's $25 per person to, for, to play that game. Is that $25 worth the experience that we had? 
And you can do like the going to a movie, you know, when we used to do that as a as a, <laughs> a landmark, right? Would it but it, would I would have had more fun going to a movie? Spending $15 for a two-hour experience per person. Um, we live in the city, so it's expensive. But even if it's just $10, right? You can kind of look at it in that way. And there, I would say something like Terraforming Mars makes up for its crappy components in that people love playing this game over and over and over and over again. So its value also increases the more that you play the game. Now, I, I think all of these things together come to a total value for something. Um, I did note a, a few other things in here. And Kitty, I don't know if you've I've read ahead in the notes yet. And just so the listeners know, I have a scratchy throat, so I'm letting these guys do a lot of the talking. Um, but so Fletcher, Kitty, I want you to take the other modifiers too. Talk amongst yourselves. I'll be sipping tea with some honey well, in it. I'll go, I'll go with the first one. Um, collectability. This is one that he like didn't touch on at all, but he kind of seemed like he was into and that's, you know, the collectability of the game. Some people like to collect games or collect components or just like, you know, complete a set. And maybe you never play it and maybe you don't even ever open the box really or just open the box once. But like you feel good that you have part of the set of the game or you feel good that you just have that game. And there's nothing wrong with collecting stuff. Yeah. People collect well, little spoons. <laughs> he did mention a couple times, like, I think this game will hold its value. He mentioned that specifically with Simon. And when you say something's going to hold its value, I think it automatically becomes valuable. Otherwise, it couldn't hold anything, right? There's nothing to hold. Most games, when you buy them, if you turn around and sell them on a secondary market, you're selling them for 10% of the cost. For a lot of these collectible-style games, um, Kickstarter-exclusive stuff, those types of things, um, hard to get, they really do hold their value, and you can sell them for close to what you paid for them, if not more, if you have something that is hard to get for some of these good games. Yeah, like Battlestar. Like Battlestar. Yeah, <laughs> which is what, three, $400 right now. Leads into um, the next modifier here is nostalgia. And are you willing to pay more and do you value a game more because of the memories it holds? And he was very negative about games which are out of print. And you should never buy an out of print game. It's not worth the value. But to me, like, if... Chris got rid of his copy of Battlestar Galactica and I didn't think I had any other way to play it again, I would totally pay a ridiculous amount of money to own this game for myself because I have great memories attached to it. And it's one of the few games that, you know, my husband really actually wants to play with me and we can have a good time playing it. And I would feel like i was going to miss out on making new memories by not being able to play this game anymore yeah he he kind of poo-pooed this one saying any game that's out of print is a bad value yeah and i would disagree with that i I mean yes you might be spending more than the game retailed for but again you have to consider everything else that goes around these games as to whether or not something is actually a good or bad value for you now, should you just go out and buy something that's out of print because you've heard it's good and you really you just want to collect it all? Yeah, probably not. But if you have a good reason for it, it's not necessarily a bad value. It could be a great value for you. Um, the last one on this list is uniqueness, which 
you know, I mean, there's nothing else like it. And he kind of s- seemed to poo-poo on this as well because it, it kind of goes with, you know, collectability and, um, you know, stuff that's out of print. And I would say, like, the best example he ca- like he gave of this was his, like, Crokinole board. He was like, this is a terrible value game. He had a beautiful Crokinole board. And he kept saying how beautiful it was. And it was. It was very beautiful. It was big. It was beautiful. It was like a piece of art. He even said, like, I should m- probably mount this on a wall. And it is a very unique great game. I don't think a lot of people have, like, the space for a Crokinole board. Or I've never even, like, heard of it until, you know, we first talked about it. I don't know how many episodes ago. Last but- week. <laughs> no, we talked about it before. I think before it was that. in... Yeah, I only remember up. talking about it last week in the top 100. <laughs> um, well, he also mentioned that this was um, a game that he really, really enjoyed as well. Yeah. But he was like, this is a terrible value for a dexterity game. But I I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you own an air hockey table. Like, yeah, it's a bad value for a, dext- for a dexterity game or like a giant, like, you know, billiards table. It's a bad value for a dexterity game. But if you want to if you want to play billiards or pool or air hockey then you pony up the money and get one because there's nothing else like it it's unique yep and this one to me is is one of those things where you may not play it all the time like crocodile is a great example you may not play it all the time but when you do you're gonna have fun every time you do it and people are gonna come over and be like oh right you have the crocodile board let's go play that and you can't say that that's a bad value. It's a centerpiece game because of its uniqueness, because of its, it's just a dexterity game. It's also a super easy game for anyone to learn how to play. And that is invaluable, talking about value, saying anybody who walks in this door, you will come over here, you'll start playing this game, and you will enjoy it right right out of the gate. Unlike some of the other games that you know could be cheap, but might be tricky to teach someone how to play. I mean, the crew was on his list of um, most valuable games or most 10 top value for your games, whatever his list yeah, was. Best value games. Yep. And it's a great game. Um, but if you have someone who doesn't like trick-taking games or someone who has have a difficult time wrapping their head around trick-taking and the cooperative <laughs> aspect of it. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. It could become something that's like, well, it is a good value to a specific group. But is it as valuable as it could be if I had spent that money on something else that has a much wider appeal? Um, I want to talk about his take on escape room games. Okay. Yep. (laughs) um, (laughs) I think that the experience of these games, even if they're one-time play and you're destroying the components and you can never replay it, is still worth it for the experience compared to something like going to an actual escape room. So if you're going to an escape room, I sorry, I got a little quiet there because I had to go look up some prices of escape rooms near me. <laughs> it is 25 to $40 per person to go to an actual escape room. The exit games, from what I can see, you can get on Amazon for $13. If you are getting a more fun experience by being able to destroy these things and be able to, I remember cutting up pieces and putting them together again, and I had a hard time getting my um, co-players interested in this game, is what I remember, (laughs) is me and my sister were trying to play with our husbands, and our husbands were um, actively unhelpful 
in our endeavor and it got a little frustrating. <laughs> but I think I would enjoy doing this again, even just as a solo experience, which you cannot go to an escape room by yourself. You can't. It's not fun. You're not going to be able to solve anything. These are meant to be joint endeavors, whereas I can get this experience from this game. And sure, there are some out there that like you could resell after you're done playing it. Something like even a uh, Time Stories uh, scenario. You can, those are replayable, even if they're not necessarily replayable to you because you've discovered all the unlockable kind of content there. I, it doesn't have any more value to me personally, one way or the other. If I'm buying a $13 game that I'm not going to get any more investment back on versus a $20 game that I can then try to resell for $10, it's worth it to me for the convenience not to have to try to resell it. <laughs> yeah, for him, it was the difference between exit and unlock. Exit are escape room games that you destroy it as you play it. Unlock is a deck of cards that you can reset and you can play again. But an individual wouldn't play it again. It's a puzzle. Once you've solved the puzzle, you're done. It's still a one-and-done game, even if, yes, you could give it to somebody else. I don't... It, it, it takes in that, that does it hold its value or resale value into consideration there. But and they I are more expensive. Yeah. It's $25, $26, it looks like, to get one on Amazon. So, yeah, I'm able to technically resell it, but I'm not gonna. And I think... Destroying components and tearing things apart is more fun. Yep. I want to wreck the game. <laughs> well, and that's the thing with legacy games, right? Um, and Pandemic Legacy Season 2 was near the top of his list of valuable games. Um, he said that Season 2, because his wife likes Season 2, he likes Season 1. Um, Pandemic Legacy Season X doesn't really matter. When these games first came out, the biggest complaint was, wait a minute, after you're done with it, you can never play it again? And the question that most people in response is like, wait a minute, how often do you play the same hobbyist game 20 times in a row? Like, yeah, there is some value in that and a significant value in that when you have this shared experience among everybody. And he recognized that on his most valuable side of things. But also on the on the worst value, he also brought that back and said, well, in these situations, it's not a good value. Again, because I don't think he was taking experience into play, which to Fletcher's point makes sense because half the games on his worst value (laughs) games he never played. Yeah. And, you know, I have definitely, you know, talked about how I don't find certain kinds of games, (laughs) Simon, 900 (laughs) unnecessary miniatures (laughs) kinds of games valuable to me. I don't like those games. I'm never going to play them. I'm never going to get all of those pieces out and put them on the table. They're not going to be part of my collection. But that doesn't mean that they don't have value to someone else. I think that the real thing going on here is just that value is so subjective. And at least it's you can talk about like market value of the game, but I don't think that's an interesting topic to talk about. I think that the value that we enjoy discussing is so subjective because if you read the comments on this video, almost all of them are the worst value game is the game you don't play. And the game you don't play is going to be completely different person to person based on personal taste. Yeah, I would. I I would agree with that. I think that, you know, cost per hour, if it's infinity, 
is a bad value. If you've never played it, <laughs> you've just paid an <laughs> infinite amount to to have zero hours of enjoyment of it. That's how that works. Unless unless you're on the collection side. Yes. Well, things. and let's so let's take a look at something like Magic the Gathering. Because this is one of those things where it's collectible. It's highly addicting to the people who play it. Um, it has and maintains value over time. In fact, a lot of people can, you know, have invested and made a lot of money off of it. Is Magic the Gathering a a valuable game? Is this something that you should get into as a player? Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, go ahead, Fletcher. Um, to me, these types of games are like my downfall, so I just don't want to get into them at all. I played. Magic the Gathering back when, you know, I was in elementary and middle school, um, when I was like begging for cash for my parents so I could go buy another like booster pack. Uh, now, obviously, I have the money to go and buy as many booster packs as I feasibly want. Um, but to me, it's I, I found that I get more enjoyment from like the slot machine aspect of the booster pack than I do from actually playing the game or like coming up with. Of course, what, like what I think is a good deck, but <laughs> is probably actually not a good deck, and I would be like trounced with anybody with you know that knew what they were doing. Um, so for me personally, like Magic the Gathering is not a good value for me. Yeah, and I what think about you, there's Kitty? like kind you can of... do this to Pokemon or anything really, right? Yeah, Any of the trading card games. I I think they all find kind of the same category. I think that there are kind of three stances on them depending on you know, who you are and how you play things. You can either look at it as this is a collectible. I buy it because they have value. I can resell them. I can trade. And that's the fun part for me. It's the slot machine aspect that Fletcher gets into. And I'd say Chris too. Um, There's the... Well, Keyforge, for example, does the same thing with that (laughs) slot machine aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And then there's the playability aspect of it i know there are people who go and there's so many different ways to play these games you can play you know tournament professional there's professional players in these games it's obviously valuable to them and to the people watching them play there's um stores where they do you know everyone opens up so many cards and you get to you know make your deck there like these different ways of playing there's obviously value there but also there's people like me i don't like these games and i don't want to play them and they have absolutely no value to me you could show me the coolest most valuable collectible card in the entire game of magic the gathering and nothing i got nothing for (laughs) i don't care (laughs) i can't care yeah I i think it comes down to it's a subjective opinion right totally i think if so, we've we've touched on lifestyle games in the past, mm-hmm. and Magic the Gathering is certainly that. If you play Magic the Gathering, it doesn't mean you play any other board or card game. That might be the only game you play. It is your your game, and if that's something that you truly enjoy, then it's very valuable to you. You can invest in it. You can buy, sell, trade, build, net deck, whatever you want to do. Yeah. It's fun for you, right? And that's going to make it valuable for you. Would I ever recommend someone getting into magic? Like if someone's like, oh, I've really been thinking about getting into a competitive, you know, dueling card game. Oh, right. Go do magic. I would never, ever, ever recommend that. (laughs) Because I agree with you in the same that 
I don't think that it is a high-value game unless you're willing to put in an extraordinary amount of time into it. Unless you're doing low investments. Get a couple starter decks, just play the starter decks. That's totally fine. That that works without – that's fine. It, it doesn't become that lifestyle game at that point. It's just kind of a board game with set decks. But I'm looking at games like – I mentioned Too Many Bones at the top of the show – and this game, if you go all in on it, and you can, you can go to Chip Theory Games, and you can buy everything that's available for it. Um, counting the Trove chest, I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of like $500, which sounds like a ton of money. I could see myself playing this game for hours upon hours upon hours straight, where I would definitely get my money back out of that. And to be fair, he talks about he didn't put too many bones on his list because he felt like even though it's an expensive game, it does, you know, you get stuff out of it. And I think he did make a really good point, but I think it kind of got lost in the kerfuffle of him not having a very um, clear metric he was using for his whole list. And that is that a lot of the games he talked about... um, gosh, I wish I could remember what it was. He talks about this game feels like you're playing Blood Rage, but it's so much more expensive than Blood Rage that like the experience of the game doesn't change game to game enough the way that some of these other games that are on the same um, monetary scale as this one, you're getting scenarios, you're getting story, you're getting much more variability, you're getting more play out of the game than just this is a really cool game with lots of miniatures that isn't necessarily worth the same value. Like the replayability of those games has to match how much you're spending on the components and the huge box and everything. It's not enough just to have really cool components. You have to have kind of a mix of the three uh, metrics that we talked about. So, you know, he, he did point out that like, just because this has really cool components doesn't mean it's as good a game as these other games that have really cool components. They also have the story and more compelling gameplay to them than this other game. Yeah, if I'm going to go with the CMON example, Massive Darkness, the first edition, I don't know about the second edition, I ended up not backing it. Um, I got tons, I got. I was all in, I got everything. I played the game once, I'm like, oh my god, this is terrible. And then <laughs> Cthulhu Death May Die. About. <laughs> yeah, well, Cthulhu Death May Die, same company, same all in, and I'm like, I can't get enough of this. I just want to keep playing it over and over and over and over again, because it's so, so good. Um, there's a couple comments in chat. I want to touch on um, Miles mentions that anything that's luck based, like the slot machine aspect, has a low value for him because he could literally receive nothing of value. Or it's a pay to win type of system where if you're being competitive, you really just have to keep spending money until you get what you're looking for. And in a, I agree with that aspect of it. If you are just playing the slot machine, and I do that with Keyforge all the time. Um, I just keep spending money on Keyforge looking for a better deck. That's not a great value. When I buy a deck of <laughs> Keyforge and it never gets unwrapped, that's not a good value. I totally admit that. The value comes out of when I find the good deck and I play it, or just playing the game in general, or grabbing two random decks and playing in some format that allows you to balance those decks. Those types of things is where I get the value out of that game. 
actually playing the game is fun for me. The slot machine aspect is also fun, but not where the value comes out of it. Um, and Terrence mentions, um, when I talked about $500 for too many bones, he's like, yes, but what if you compare that to an RPG? How many hours of play do you get out of that versus too many bones? My rebuttal there is a typical <laughs> RPG is going to cost you about $150 if you buy retail price. So if you're going to, well, I'm going to go Dungeons and Dragons. Other RPGs might be a little cheaper, but Dungeons and Dragons, three core books, your player's handbook, your monster manual, and your DM's guide. If you only get those, that's $150. If you want to get a hardback adventure that goes with it, add another $50, so you're at $200. You definitely need at least three people. So it's one DM and two other players, but really you want like five people to play. So that makes it a little bit harder to get to the table, which can lower its value because the amount of time you get to play can be less, versus something like an RPG in a box, which is what Too Many Bones is, where I can play it solo. I'm I'm up late at night now because I'm hanging out you know, with um, Becca, right? And so between feedings, while she's keeping me awake, I can play Too Many Bones and step away and come back, and I can play that in the middle of the night, which increases its value to me personally. So... I think we did when we did our top, you know, Desert Island games. Um, all of us picked something like a role playing game as one of our top levels once because we do see that there's a ton of value and replayability there, but you have to have people to play it with. I also don't know anyone who has played D and D who has only had those four books. You start then. Oh, now I need the map. I need the miniatures. I need the dice sets i need not just any old dice set. i want the premium metal dice set with the really sharp edges i need the really that ruins my table (laughs) (laughs) then you need to get the neoprene mat so you protect your table from the really sharp dice um yeah you know like you can but honestly it's fun the investment in games is fun sometimes I love playing around on Hero Forge when I'm creating a new character. It is so much fun for me to sit there and play with like all the different aspects of making my new miniature and coming up with this. But it also adds value to the game because not only am I sitting there, yeah, I'm playing with like a miniature and that, but I'm building a story in my head around my character why is my character wearing their hair like that is it because you know of practicality does my character not care about that you know you're you're building these backstories you're giving yourself more game time outside of the game that adds value to game time at the table and i think it increases yeah it increases both the experience and the cost per hour. Because even though you're not playing the game, the amount of time you spend thinking about and enjoying thinking about the game still goes towards that cost, right? Yes. Yeah. Chris now, can it- tell you how many like page-long emails I have sent <laughs> about character backstories for campaigns that only lasted three sessions. It kills me. <laughs> <laughs> well, most of our... Well, all right, the last campaign only lasted a few sessions. But, and, and honestly, like the on D&D... <laughs> my D and D all in. I'm pretty sure I have to be at at least a thousand dollars right now for D and D because I have all of the published books that Wizards has put out, a handful of third party books, and then many of those I have in D and D Beyond as well because I like being able to read it on my tablet. Um, now most people are not buying the physical version and the D and D Beyond version. 
but I'm a completionist and I'm usually the DM. So having everything at my fingertips is important. So role-playing games have great return on investment, but they're not cheap for the DM. Players can get away with it a lot cheaper. It's true. Yeah. But yeah. Um, What other things like can make a game? Well, all right. Actually, I'm going to ask this question slightly differently. A game, how can we make a game more valuable? So uh, to kind of put an example to this, um, and I'm going to bring up too many bones again. I have been sitting <laughs> on this game for three years. Like when I first got it, I did not like it. I played it. I kept it. The next Kickstarter came out. They had an upgrade kit. And because I am who I am, I had to get the upgrade kit, which cleaned up some of the rules, upgraded the components more. And then the next expan- the next Kickstarter, and I went all in on that. Even though I've only played the game one time, I'm like, I see the potential, but it just wasn't bringing me back. And then, for some reason, I decided to get the loot crate, which I think is Trove Chest, Trove Chest, um, which was like an $80 add-on to the last Kickstarter. So I'm like, I already have everything. I probably should have some place to put it. And then once I got it and I had it on my table, that's when I actually started playing it for real and really, and this is only just the past couple of weeks where I'm like, I really got into this. And the game went from having completely sunk cost, as in no real value whatsoever, to being, wow, I love the components. I love the experience. I'm not quite there on cost per hour yet, but I... I keep setting the game up and I keep starting new games right after I get done. So I'd see myself on that, on that path. So this is for me, an example of how to make too many bones more valuable was to make it put it in a situation where it was more playable. How can we do this with other games? Like, do you guys have games that's like, well, I feel like I didn't really get a lot of valuable for this. How do, do you, you know, get it to the point where you can play it more? I keep my games more valuable to me by having less of them. <laughs> That's a great, great <laughs> yes. piece of advice. When you have less games, you feel like your games are more valuable to you because you play them more often. I think with you in Too Many Bones, look at how many other games you played during those years. It was just sitting there. It's not like you were, you know, oh, I only have just this one game and I just sat yeah. there not playing it. It's not true. You played like all of Cthulhu Death May Die before you got into oh, this game. I have I have played, yes, I played a lot of Keyforge. Since the pandemic, we haven't actually played a lot of Keyforge, um, we, but we've played a lot of games. And yes, I've played hundreds of games since I've owned too many books. Whereas I own a lot less games than you. So to me, each of my games sees more play and feels more valuable than Too Many Bones did because I get each of my games to the table not super often but honestly if they're not getting to the table they're probably not going to stay in my collection for very long so I, I like to keep my collection valuable to me by keeping it limited sometimes you say things that are very insightful and i go wow and then that you put your fingers times. in your ears and go, <laughs> and go la, 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 I'm buying all, I'm buying all this stuff <laughs> no i mean i really uh, you you're 100 percent right like if you want to make a game more valuable, you you just cherish it more. Well, that's not really what you said. It's you make it something. That was a way of saying what I said without getting rid of any of your games. <laughs> that's yeah. how you just <laughs> twisted my words. <laughs> but well, and what I've been doing, I've actually been thinking about this lately, and don't be surprised if it becomes a topic. I've talked about a lot of like kind of not buying as many games. And with the pandemic, it's been easier not to buy as many games because not as many games have been coming out. And really 
deep diving into the games that I have. Cthulhu Death May Die is is one of those games where I'm like, we played that thing over and over and over and over again. And like, finally, we, you know, played the scenario with the giant Cthulhu, and it took us six tries before we could finally beat it. And it (laughs) felt so good, because we just tried it, nope, dead, tried it, nope, dead, tried it, nope, and we just, it felt amazing. That... uh, I got more out of that game because I kept playing it. It was another game where the first time I played it, I'm like, this is good. The second time I played it, I was like, wow, this is really good. And then it just hooked me. And so I Miles, want to have that experience more. Uh, Miles in the chat points out that um, finding people to play with is a way to have more value from your games. If you have the people to play them with, you're going to play them more. And you are also going to have you know, more friends that have the same taste that enjoy playing those games with you. I will say the flip side of that is if you buy games that you know the people you already play with will like to play. So I recently got my mom Azul for her birthday. I have played Azul more times since my mom's birthday than I had in the previous six months because I bought that game knowing she would like it and knowing I would be able to play that with her. And so even though I don't own that game, that game has become valuable to me (laughs) because I get to play it with my mom. I've spent more time with my mom gaming recently, and it has been really fun. So both buying games for the friends you have and making friends for the games that you have. (laughs) Sometimes Miles says things that are just, they surprise me. (laughs) They they really do. (laughs) But this is another great example. Um, Yeah, I mean, the games that I find the most value in are the ones that I can play with Sydney, and she's enjoying it. Because I also like seeing the people I'm playing with and having fun with the game. And she'll play anything with me. But if she's playing it and she's enjoying it, it makes it all the more valuable. And like Lord of the Rings, um, or War of the, War of the Ring? War of the Ring. You know, <laughs> we still have that next to the gaming table because we both loved that game. And we're going to set it up and we're going to play it again because we both love that game. We just need to have more than an hour and a half before we can you know, <laughs> play it. We're getting closer. Um yeah, I mean, Fletcher, do you have any ideas? How do you make your games more valuable? And why is Kingdom Death Monster the worst valued game in history? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, I make my games more valuable in the exact same way that Kitty does. I just have fewer of them, so they make it to the table more often, and they don't sit unplayed for years while I do something else. So, <laughs> kind of the same strategy as Kitty. I also don't have a basement where I can just like shovel everything I don't want to see. Um, and and the second part Kingdom of the question: Death, Why is Kingdom Death Monster the worst value game? Well, I don't think it is. Um, I've played Kingdom Death Monster. Uh, I don't know how many hours, but at least seven sessions. I don't actually own it. Um, and those sessions are anywhere from like two to four hours long. Um, and I mean, one thing he didn't talk about is like, if you love miniatures and painting miniatures, there is a crap ton of miniatures in this box that you get to assemble and put together with lots of little fiddly bits. And if that's your thing and you like doing that, then there might be tremendous value. In fact, you get to like part part of the game is that you can create your characters and you there's just like stock components of miniatures that you can kind of assemble to create your character. So you give it a name, you give it traits and you can with all these components in there actually like assemble your miniature the way that you want to. And then, you know, paint it if, if you're into that, um, I'm totally not, 
but that could be a great value <laughs> if, if you're into that. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put Kingdom Death Monster against our three ratings, the components. When you open up the box, well, everything's on sprues, but the actual miniatures once assembled are insane quality. They're just phenomenal. The art is subjective in a way that if you are offended by just gratuitous dark fantasy nudity, you're not going to like it. <laughs> but if that's right. your thing, you're going to get a high value out of that as well because it's all over so the place. I, in there. I would say that it's really good quality artwork. You might not like the subject matter. Right. The subject matter might not be your thing, but it is high production, good art. In fact, like I don't like the rule book because it's like a hardbound rule book that has like story and rules mixed in together. And it even has like one of those, um, I don't know, like ribbon bookmark things that you can oh, put right. in there to like save a, save your spot. It's a hardbound, high glossy page. Like it is a gorgeous rule book. It's a terrible rule book, but it's a gorgeous <laughs> rule book. Yeah. Well, and then you have the experience, and I've only known a few people to play Kingdom Death Monster, but everybody, everybody, all the people I've talked to that play it love the experience. Um, now it is again dark fantasy. It's torturous. It's you're gonna your character is gonna die. You're you're gonna fail the campaign over and over. But people find that an enjoyable experience. Like what's going on is super enjoyable. And cost per hour, like. Fletcher, you said you've played it seven times. We say you average two to four hours, so we'll say three. That's about 21 hours. You've played it with at least one other person, I think two other people typically. Um, it's usually three of us. Right. That, that so, yeah. so you have about 63 hours in there. The game costs $250 for the base box of what you got. So at that point, you're under $5 an hour for your entertainment and that's not counting anything of putting the miniatures together and painting them if that's something you enjoy otherwise it's work and you have to do some kind of credit <laughs> otherwise back. it's negative value <laughs> yeah but most people i know that play this so our friends um sarah and martin on the east coast this is their favorite game they've played it for literally hundreds of hours they've they played it through like 20 scenarios and got wiped out and started over the campaign after 100 hours of playing this game like there's no way you can say that this game doesn't have value when you come back to it over and over and over. Now, if you never play it and our, our I wish I knew his name. Um, if somebody knows his name in chat, you can let me know, but our board game co um, person, he has never played kingdom death monster for, so for him, for a game that's that expensive, it is a terrible value because he has zero plays in it. But the fact that, you can get the value out of those games. The price tag of the game is less consequential to value than your experience and your ability to actually play it with the people you want to play it with. I think that's the that's the moral of our episode, I think. Maybe. I got they distracted looking at the Kingdom Death Monster <laughs> miniatures. All I can say is at least their mouths are closed. Sorry. <laughs> There's, yeah, they're very interesting <laughs> miniatures, but at least it's built into the story why nobody's wearing any clothes. So, yeah, well, it is. None of the women are wearing clothes, but the men all seem to be perfectly clothed. Hmm. That's kind of built into the story too. <laughs> it's it is a very very odd story, but I am not here to defend Kingdom Death Monsters. My story is at this point been heard multiple times. I backed it, I opened it, I closed it, I gave it away. <laughs> <laughs> we all know my feeling about female armor. What female armor? 
chain mail. Your midriff and your thighs need no armor. <laughs> yeah, it makes total sense. Well, hopefully this gave everyone kind of a different way to think about value um, in armor as well as games. Uh, armor is as valuable as it protects. But yeah, like I say, and it's it's hard. It is hard to make a list of the top 10 least valuable games without upsetting someone at some point during that list. And honestly, you know, I think the real conclusion we came to is value is very, 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 very subjective. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's and that's the moral of the story. Um, yep. It's except for terraforming Mars, which is a crappy value. But <laughs> <laughs> we not will true, never not admit true. that we like it. I did. I did back the latest Kickstarter that gives all the deluxified components, and I promise once I get that, I will play this game and I will have more fun with it because to me, board gaming is a tactile hobby, and art and components. Over time, at the beginning, it didn't really matter to me as much. But over time, it is a huge part of my enjoyment of a game is that tactile fulfillment. And I think I will have more fun with Terraforming Mars when everything's plastic. <laughs> Let me know when they rehaul the graphic design and then I'll... I know. That's the one thing. I wish they would just redo <laughs> all of the art. <sighs> that's not going to happen. Everything else that I wanted, they did. But that particular... Even card sleeves. So the card quality is not great but they have card sleeves now so you just put everything in card sleeves i, I think it I matter think, i think the art's okay it's just the graphic design yeah graphic design I mean, is not great art is inconsistent that's my big problem with that is some I don't of it's mind like the inconsistent art i mind yeah. the um the it's the graphic design the confusing layout of things the rule book in particular and cards as well though but All right, i've we talked need to, too much have- about we we've ragged on terraforming Mars too much. Yeah, we're gonna <laughs> no. do an we're gonna do an entire episode on terraforming Mars in the no. far future. After <laughs> we have all of the upgraded stuff, we're gonna put all the expansions, all the upgrades together. We're gonna all play the game, and then we'll do an episode on it. You can get Josh to come defend the game, and I'll take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, you can follow us on Facebook at Tabletop Game Talk Podcast. Twitter's Tabletop Game TLK. Kitty's Lawful Good Mom. Fletcher is Netflix. I am Game Master Chris. Uh, check us out on Patreon. That's tabletopgametalk.com slash Patreon. Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Thanks for listening. And remember, we love your feedback. So email us with comments or questions about today's topic at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. And finally, a huge thank you to our Patreons and some people who are not paying attention to the notes should note that I just added some extra stuff in here. And then I'm going to say, Adam Harrison, The Gift of Games, Jason Strong, Terrence Milner, Stephen Seitz, Brian Arnold, Shampi Kelly, C. Marie, Rudy Liu, Benjamin Heimowitz, Jerry Wong, Caleb O'Brien, Jennifer Langerbrett, Justin Willard, Christopher Dong, Jason Marks, Jeremy Fisher, David Radke, Nick Quickstra, David Sellers, Jason Rodney, Michael Yanikowski, Miles Clark, Cindy Loom, Phil Schwartzel, Ann Reynolds, Eric Huffman, Adrian Dong, Faz Flintham, Sean Peck, Eric Selander, Mike Smith, Joe Hoover, Glenn Cotter, Don Gilstrap, Stephen Judd. Leanne Verholst, Christopher Letgo, John Lewis, Joe Rackstad, Ron Nelson, Sahara Wentworth, Weatherman Keefe, Nicholas Lotz, Agnes Toth, Paul Raymer, Timothy, Matthew Droke, Aaron Moore, Jesse Wheeler, Charles Pearson, David Rank, Sam Lacet Brown, Christopher Comstock, and Ben Gary. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. I completely forgot 
until we were reading names, we owe Eric Sealander something for getting my Meet Me in St. Louis reference last week. (laughs) (laughs) He tweeted at me, the only one who understands. Maybe I'll send him one of my valuable games. (laughs) 